you know what? I don't want to be as good as you. I want to be far better than you. I want to fucking eclipse you, man. You know, the venom is real. <laughs> oh my God. You are talking to a double whammy, right? A female and an Asian in the white boys club. My dyslexia is my secret weapon and yeah. I use it every day. Welcome to The Imposterous. The Imposterous is hosted by me, Graham Drew, and Michael Knox. Two rather insecure frauds who will be exploring the motivating and debilitating experiences we all have with imposter syndrome. With a sneaky suspicion that it might just be your superpower, if you let it. My book was terrible. I, I mean, I showed him my poetry. I want to die. I want, I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, you showed Graham also your poetry. Hey Michael, how are you doing? Graham, I'm good, you? Not too bad. Who we got today? Oh, Shannon. So Shannon Crow. Shannon and I worked together many years ago. Um, really looking forward to talking to her. She's done some great things, well-ranked, creative, a whole lot of stuff. Alpha mum is how she would describe herself. It's a fantastic nice. story and looking forward to talking to her. That makes me a beta dad. So Shannon. This Good morning. Is, so Graham and I have this theory that... A lot of creatives or a lot of people that we've worked with, a lot of people in general suffer from imposter syndrome insofar as they find themselves in situations or workplaces or parts of their careers where they think, I shouldn't really be here, I don't belong. Mm. So this is our way of, you know, people say, don't meet your heroes. This is our way of actually not meeting them but interviewing them. <laughs> so I wanted to get you on here to talk about this because you know, looking at what you've achieved over the years, it's quite phenomenal in the fact seventh of CanLion winners, you know, went to yeah. CanLions in the See It, Be It program, which is where you're supposed to realise what you could be and won 21 lines for Snickers Hungarism. You're a, a very G. passionate RMIT lecturer. You kind, of, you kind of champion the next generation of creatives coming through and want to make the advertising industry a better place or a a place that people want to work in, but still, given all that, you were just talking about a stress culture, which does yes. show that you care and probably care too much. <laughs> Can you talk yes. to us about, you know, why it is that you might not fit in to the industry or sometimes feel like you don't? Yeah, sure. I, I, I went and studied advertising as a mature age student, so I graduated at 28, which in hindsight doesn't seem very old. But at the time, I started as a junior in an advertising agency as a 28-year-old woman, whereas the people that I was working alongside were, you know, 20, 21, um, very different kind of uh, life outlooks and very different lives outside of work and, you know, quite content with a junior paycheck, whereas I was wanting to to step up and, and be an adult and get a mortgage and do all of those things. So I felt like a bit of a black sheep in that regard. But I guess the good thing about coming into the industry at 28 was that I also did have a, a fair bit of life experience behind me. I'd travelled, I'd had other kind of careers um, and in doing so, you know, I'd, I'd learnt that I am a good worker and I am a good person so I could take that um, in with me and whenever I felt like a bit of an imposter I could always kind of fall back on that and know actually I belong here because I have done good work and that is why I was chosen to work here and you know you, you have to do you do have to kind of keep in mind that the workplace is a trade and so you're there getting paid for your skills and you're there for a reason because your skills are needed so always got to kind of keep that in mind as well. 
since then, <laughs> I started working at um, Cleminger BBDO, which at the time was uh, the number one agency in Australia and, you know, doing really great things on the award circuit globally as well. So there was a bit of imposter syndrome when I started there as well, because it was one of those scenarios where, you know, I was meeting a lot of my heroes. And But um, again, it was just a matter of kind of finding my place and proving myself and remembering that I was employed there for a reason. Um, and I was living up to that reason, like I was delivering the work that they wanted to see and then some. Um, but while I was at Clems, I also uh, fell pregnant, which was a bit of a surprise baby. And so I have been raising my son by myself um, since then. He's five and a half now. Uh, so I guess the imposter syndrome has kind of evolved into a different shape now in that you don't see many um, women in senior creative positions in advertising and even fewer of those women are mothers and even fewer still are solo mums. So, um, yeah, again, feeling like a black sheep but even more determined, I guess, than ever before to impose, <laughs> I guess, and to make the industry accommodate me and celebrate me. Do you think that makes you a better creative? Do you think your your life and the life you've chosen, because basically you've worked for yourself for a number of years, like, you know, well, I think I mentioned the impostering from home. Yeah. Um, you've been doing that for a number of years and held down a career and done some fantastic work for some clients, Airbnb, for example, and you're obviously very motiv motivated. Do you think your life that you have in raising Elfie has made you a better creative? Yeah, definitely. I think when I was at Clems, and, you know, this is the case in so many different agencies, but you just work overtime all the time. It's like, you know, an eight till eight job on a good day. And then there's weekends and you end up hanging out with the people that you work with. And it's just this kind of big advertising circle jerk for what for want of a better word. Um, and you kind of lose sight of the fact that you're creating work for people outside of advertising who don't care about advertising unless you give them a really great reason to. I think, you know, the the benefit that I had in working for myself over the past couple of years as well was that um, I guess advertising such a, such a transient industry that the people I worked with when I was in agencies started to filter out far and wide and so suddenly my network was growing and I was getting inquiries from lots of different places and was actually able to pick and choose the projects that I worked on to a certain extent. So I made sure that they aligned with my skill set and my values as well as my kind of time availability and capacity. So, yeah, it was quite a privileged position to be in. I want to ask you about clients because clients obviously, where we started talking, clients obviously stress you a bit. Yeah. Um, they, can, <laughs> they, they, can, they can find themselves kind of like, you know, in, in your conversations too much. Working with good clients who appreciate where you've come from and your background, have you had an experience with that that might have, I don't know, made you feel more like, hey, yes, I have something to offer this particular client more so than, you know, another yeah, I think, um, yeah, with, with the picking and choosing projects over the past few years, one of the things that I have gravitated towards is um, behaviour change kind of kind of work. So I think, um, you know, being, again, a single mum and being a woman in an industry that's largely kind of, um, you know, lauded over by men, um, there's a lot of work in the equality space and the kind of feminist space that I, I you know, have lived experience in. Um, and from that, I'm kind of getting a lot more work around primary prevention campaigns for sexual violence and domestic violence. And, um, yeah, the, the equality kind of funnel goes in all different directions. So, um, 
yeah, doing that work uh, feels really valuable and I think that um, I feel valuable to the clients as well, which is really great. Um, but you also mentioned Airbnb and they've been interesting in that I'm working directly with the clients or directly with the tech company. So you're kind of cutting out the middleman, which um, has been great as well because they're a company that, um, you know, live and breathe their brand values maybe a little bit too much sometimes. They get a little bit too San Francisco Kool-Aid at times, but they're all about belonging anywhere. And so whenever you come up with a creative idea, it has to show belonging, it has to show community, and it has to be like, yeah, just have a quality at the core. Country pubs and country towns are in need of more guests. Luckily, we know plenty. G'day, mate. Introducing the Country Pub Project, an Airbnb initiative to revive country towns by revitalising country pubs. Places in need of a little TLC and a whole lot more guests. Yeah, and on that on that ad show, that shiny, glossy nature of it, what advice, like, because you, you do work with students you know I, I think um a lot of your RMIT students look up to you you give them a lot of advice what what sort of advice do you give them or you know would you be giving yourself on day one of work walking into a an agency with its shininess how do you get around that what's the tips <laughs> um yeah I think I, I really encourage my students to work out um what their particular brand is and just say to them look if you can't work out how to sell yourself then people aren't going to believe you can sell other things as well but in working out what their brand is I get them to really kind of dissect who they are personally and also what they have to offer professionally so already they're kind of you know taking some of that gloss off and not doing the stock standard sales pitch you know what I had to learn was that when you're going into a pitch, everyone is on the same team or everyone does want to be on the same team. You know, the clients want to see you succeed and they're gunning for your idea as well. So there's so it can be so nerve-wracking because you put so many hours of work and life and like love into this, this idea that can be dismissed in a matter of seconds that if you let that overwhelm you. Um, you probably won't do a very good job of selling it. But, yeah, just going there and realise that everybody wants to make something good. When Michael sent me your CV because and, and then you saw it, or, or your website rather, and you sort of, you look at it and then you see Snickers Hungerism. Snickers launched an advertising campaign in Australia in partnership with 7-Eleven that changes the price of the candy bar based on the mood of the internet and when anger goes up snickers prices go down australia get angry let's get those things down to 20 cents <laughs> introducing the hunger rhythm a hunger algorithm that linked price to people's real-time moods as anger went up prices went down at every 7-eleven in australia inevitably we're kind of defined by our work because you're sort mm -hmm. of like oh do you know this person it's like oh well, what do they do yeah and then that's just that's it's just kind of like the shorthand that you have and you've got a proper Hall of Fame idea, you know, which is the one where everybody knows it, right? Which I guess yeah. I think every creative, if they can just get one of those, is is pretty amazing thing. Did that change how you sort of felt about yourself and your ability and what you could do? And, you know, awards are a really funny, toxic, good, bad mm -hmm. thing. But you've got this amazing idea, which is like your calling card now. Has that really helped you or is it a bit of a hindrance now? Does it become a bit of a millstone of like, where's the really hungry rhythm? 
<laughs> no, it's it's helped me endlessly. The hunger rhythm yeah. was just like this perfect storm in that it was one of the first briefs I got when I started working at Clems. Um, I was hired in quite a junior position, but then this project, it took about a, a year and a half to, to find its way into the world. So that really helped me kind of get on the radar at Clems and, and to prove, you know, that, that I was good at what I do. Um, but because it did take a year and a half to come out into the world in that time, I'd had my son. So the last three months of like producing the campaign and actually getting it out, I was on maternity leave. By the time it was actually launched, I was out of the agency and felt uh, like felt very, very sidelined by it all. You know, it, it went on to win some local award shows first and the prize was a car that was to be, which is, you know, a silly prize for creatives because it's always a team effort. I think it's a bloody great prize. <laughs> It's like, all right, we want a car. How? What do we do with this? <laughs> but um, the suggestion was that my creative partner keep half the car, and I divided my half amongst you know the designer and everybody, and the new copywriter and all these other people who'd done you know the final sprint to the finish line. Um, so I was like, shit, this is how it's going to be. And then he ended up getting two pay rises and two promotions off the back of that campaign as well. And I was like, I don't think I can even find a job. (laughs) So I was like, oh, God, what what am I going to do? But then, yeah, I got accepted into See It, Be It, which is a career acceleration program for women at Cannes. And so was flown over to Cannes um, by See It, Be It. And while I was there, just kept on kind of walking through the the awards galleries and seeing the little stickers saying that we'd been yeah. shortlisted and so the excitement was building and then, yeah, we ended up winning, as Noxy said, 21 Lions that year. Um, so I came home just like <laughs> I A had so much case. leverage. Yeah, <laughs> none of the Lions I actually saw, again, sidelined. <laughs> but um, I had so much leverage. I went back and, um, you know, Clems got in touch with me about doing some freelance work and they said, oh, how much do you charge after after all the wins it can? And I was like, oh, like to myself, I hadn't even thought about giving myself a pay rise. So I just turned it around back on them and said, well, how much do you think I'm worth? And um, which is a good tip as well, especially for female creatives. I think that um, you can go in quite tentatively when you're talking money and you know, feel like you have to prove yourself before you get paid for the work you've done. So it's a good tip just to turn it around on whoever's uh, you're negotiating with and quite often they'll put a higher number on the table than you'd be comfortable with. I've never had to, like, go out and hunt down work, which is great, but the work was pretty scrappy to start with. But then after Hunger Rhythm, I started getting some kind of juicier projects and was able to lead them as well, even though I was remote. So it was great. So, Shannon, you've now joined um, Thinkabel as creative mm. director and probably Australia's hotshot, really, from a new business point of view and the type yeah. of work that's being done. And, and the the industries and the environment has obviously changed in the time that you're out and now you've come back in. Mm. Do, do you notice any any change or do you think you're ahead of the game and people are a little bit more relaxed and talking about things like work-life balance and actually having a life or has nothing changed and we're just... I, oh, look, even the fact that I'm at Thinkabell shows that there has been big changes. Um, you know, I'm in a super fortunate position to be able to say that COVID has actually done good things for my business model. And all of these agencies had to start working remotely and saw that creativity isn't confined to an agency's walls and that people can still kind of think and collaborate. 
When Think About approached me a couple of months ago, they said that they had heard my name around the traps from quite a few people um, and were really interested in working with me, but they'd also heard that I probably wouldn't want a job job. It's like, well, when you think about it, who would want a job job? <laughs> like, life is great. <laughs> Get out there and live some more. So they said, all right, well, if you don't want a job job, have a think about what a not job job would look like and get back to us with that. So I went home and kind of wrote out all the ins and outs of my ideal contract and sent that back to them. And apparently they saw it and were like, oh, shit. <laughs> but then realised actually, no, she's put so much thought into this, um, which is exactly why she's good at what she does. So let's kind of sit down and work out what's possible and for the things that aren't quite possible, what's the best that we can do. That is that is a real, a, you know, a massive um, change and turnaround really in, in, oh, in a totally. few years, you know, to the credit of you, to being able to, to show that you can manage that and do that. It's probably put that style of working and that type of working, you know, years ahead and a possibility mm. for a, a lot of other people. Yeah, it's it's very exciting. So there's quite a few mums and and like and dads at Thinkabell as well who are a bit younger than I am. But just to see that it is possible is not something that I kind of had when I was coming through the ranks. And um, there's a, a motto that they use in PepsiCo as well, and that's leave loudly. So if you do have kids in an agency, don't like sneak out at three o'clock because you have to pick them up. Just say to everyone, I've got to go pick up the kids and just really normalise that. So I'm really trying to do that as well. I love that leave loudly. Leaders Leave Loudly was introduced by PepsiCo Australia New Zealand CEO Robert Wrightbrock to ensure that when team leaders leave, they feel comfortable doing so, but also to declare to the broader team that it is okay to have a life outside of work. The father of two has been championing family-friendly, flexible work policies as well as attempting to boost the number of women in senior management roles and challenging the perception that flexible working arrangements are off-limits for men. It's always unsaid, isn't it? That culture of staying late or that culture of feeling, but nothing's ever said. It's just the mood and you sort of feel yeah. guilty and you kind of sneak mm-hmm. out. And so much of what you've been saying, it sounds like it's just about having confidence in yourself and your ability and just not, and just sort of like going, well, well I've done my work, I'm off. It's so much of it is down to just confidence in your own ability and saying, look, I'm being paid to do a job. I've done my job. Good. I don't yeah. need to hang around for the fluff because no one ever remembers the fluff anyway. I was quite good at the farm. (laughs) (laughs) Mike and I built careers in fluff. Let's be careful. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of fun in the fluff. Um, It's been great talking to you. Was there anything you wanted to talk about on this subject at all? No, no. I was just going to say that I think it was you, Noxie, who taught me that one of the um, most important things to learn when you're starting out is how to identify a good idea. And it's true, like once you've got that skill and you go, all right, I know that's a good idea and my job is done, (laughs) then you can (laughs) indulge in the fluff if that's what you want to do or you can just charge for eight hours worth of work even if you did got to the good idea in half an hour. So Yeah, I always thought that needed to be a name between when you had a good idea in your head and before you shared it, like that that time (laughs) that you can actually just not have to worry about the feedback Yeah, what's going to happen to it, that bit. Yeah. Anyway, I don't think it has a name. No, it's just, just that selfish moment where you walk around with it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more of those moments, please. <laughs> it's been very good talking to you, Shannon. We have we have a saying on um, the imposterous 
but but I but but in in hearing what you said, and and our saying is, um, you are creative, you are loved, and you belong, which That's we used nice. to reassure people. We come in here and have you know the need for therapy, but but I we you know clearly you've nailed it, and you do you do very much belong in your own world, and we're all trying to be part of part of it. So thanks for coming. Thanks for in. having me. I can be your regular therapist if you like. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to The Imposterous. Apart from our fine, imposterous guests, none of this would have been possible without the help of the following wonderful frauds. Firstly, Andrew Stevenson at We Love Jam Studios, best music and sound house in Australia. Without his help, this would have been a series of WhatsApp messages with emoji responses. And also Hilton Moday, who has graced us with his theme music that you're listening to now. If you would like to catch up on all the other podcasts in The Imposterous series, visit theimposterous.com. Here you can also get in touch with us via email.